And we're back on Dealing Together, where we help good people who fell for bad deals. First caller? I had to buy three identical sweaters to get the fourth free. Oh, you got fleeced. Next caller, what's your deal? I paid for 20 tanning sessions, but had to use them in a month. Now I'm orange. Ooh, you got burned. Next caller. I traded in my old Samsung at AT AT&T for a new Samsung Galaxy S24+. Hmm, how's that bad? I got to choose from their best plans. So what went wrong? Oh, nothing went wrong. And you're calling to... To request a song? You want a song. Of course. The choice is yours. Our best smartphone deals. Your choice of plan. Learn how to get the new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus with Galaxy AI on us with eligible trade-in. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Offers vary by device. Subject to change. S24 plus 256 gigabyte offer available for a limited time. Terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash Samsung for details. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. Bring spring color inside this season with Bare Premium Plus paint, starting at just $28.98 a gallon at the Home Depot. Add a pop of blue to your kitchen with the Bare exclusive color Arrowhead Lake or a splash of Amazon Jungle to your living room. Bring a cool breeze to your bathroom with sea glass or accent your bedroom with sunrise-inspired colors like coral cloud and dark crimson. Let your creativity bloom this spring with Bare Premium Plus paint starting at just $28.98 a gallon at The Home Depot. How doers get more done. What's out there is unknown. So at UC San Diego, out we go. Because to take on the challenges of the here and now, you got to get your feet wet. Your eyes open and your mind out there, way out there, turning the unknown into cures, culture, and connections with each step forward. So pack a bag, a notebook, and some sandals and get ready to look far and think further. UC San Diego. Learn more at ucsd.edu. Your getaway with Apple Vacations begins the moment you step on board one of our exclusive nonstop vacation flights. Escape the ordinary with packages starting at just $599. No layovers, just pure relaxation from takeoff to touchdown. Immerse yourself in the joy of travel with Apple Vacations. Your journey is as enchanting as the destination, so pack your bags and leave the rest to us. Visit AppleVacations.com or call your local travel advisor to book your vacation. Brought to you by Toyota. Let's go places. Welcome to Forward Thinking. Hey there and welcome to Forward Thinking, the podcast that looks at the future and says, I was seriously thinking about hiding the receiver when the switch broke, because it's old. I'm Jonathan Strickland. I'm Lauren Volkelbaum. And I'm Joe McCormick. And today... Yes, Joe? We're going to be talking about radar. Yay! Right. And uh, and and just for our fans who are my age or older, we're not talking about the popular character from the movie and television series *Mash*. Unfortunately, not. No, we're talking about the actual technology radar, which is 
nothing new. No, it's 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 been around for quite a few decades, but it's super cool. There's a lot of different applications for it that are really interesting. And apparently there are going to be some new applications for it in the future. Yeah, and even... If s- there is a future. <laughs> well, it's on my radar. Uh, oh. Yeah, well, you know, oh. it's going to happen. I might as well get it out of the way early. The, the, the neat thing is the way that the technology is is changing over time like there it's being married with other technologies but we'll get into that okay well let me let me explore the layman's view of radar okay what is radar if you don't know (laughs) it has something to do with a circular screen that has a line that sweeps around it and goes bloop bloop oh you've you've mistaken it for sonar oh no wait hold on hold on (laughs) It has something to do with uh, like a little antenna that spins around really fast. Yeah, that's that's closer. And there can be a round, a round screen. It's just the bloop is totally indicative of sonar ups as opposed to radar. <laughs> I, I you could make a radar display bloop. Why you not? Could, you could make but anything then, you want bloop. That is yeah. the true you, incredible future. Blooping is one of the easiest things to program. Look, I've I've. I've studied screenplays, and I, I realize that if you make it bloop, you have confused your audience. So, uh, But no, the other interesting thing that we want to talk about before we actually get into what radar is and how it works is the fact that it used to be an acronym, and now it's not anymore. It's one of those words like laser. Laser was like this, wasn't it? Yep, it sure was. Yeah, so it used to be – it used to stand for something, and now it doesn't <laughs> Ra- stand for anything. Radar won't stand. You could walk into it. The president of the United States could walk into a room – Radar's not going to get up. Right. It's yeah. just like a – it's just a lowercase word. You don't even capitalize it. But what did it originally stand for? Radio detection and ranging. That's what the uh, United States Navy referred to it as. And, and the RA of radio were capitalized yeah. because it wasn't in the day when they would just add extra random words in there in they order didn't, to make the really cool – Yeah, they didn't – and they didn't want to call it ERDAR. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so so ERDAR. <laughs> Turn on the radar. Oh, yeah, that did not that did not fly. So they went with radar. But and, today uh, it's just radar. Yeah, it's, it's just the little lowercase word radar exactly. because we we say it so much. You know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, boy, if I had a nickel for every time I talked about radar in your average week. Well, let's explain how radar actually works. Sure. It's, it's actually a pretty simple principle. Yeah, it's actually very similar to echolocation. Right. It's it's based on a very and, and in fact, sonar, it's, it's based on similar principles, except instead of sound, we're talking about radio waves, which, by the way, don't work so well underwater, but they work great above water. So uh, essentially what you're doing is you're sending out bursts of radio waves or microwaves. Like we're talking super short bursts, like microsecond long bursts. And you do that often, whatever direction you're looking at. And if those waves encounter an object, some of them will bounce back toward the source of the transmission. So you've got a, you've got a transmitter and a receiver. You turn on the transmitter, you send out a blast of radio waves, you switch off the transmitter, you turn on the receiver. And when those returning waves come back, one, you know that there's an object out there that the waves have encountered. And two, you know how far away it is because you can measure the time it took from when the radio waves went out of the antenna to when the echo came back in. And beyond that, you can actually tell whether or not the object is moving toward you or away from you using the Doppler shift. Right, the Doppler effect that uh, we're all familiar with from hearing police sirens, right? Yeah. Uh, so w- when you hear a police siren approaching you, it's it's getting this high pitch noise right. and it gets higher and higher. 
And then after it passes you, you know that yeah. it suddenly lower gets lower. lower. Right. And the reason it does that, the, the Doppler effect applies to all waves. It's not just sound waves. It's also radio waves. And uh, what's happening is essentially those waves are being compressed ahead of the moving object when it's coming toward you. So the frequency is increased. And when the frequency increases with sound, that means the pitch goes up, right? Mm-hmm. And when the object passes by you, then the uh, waves are being elongated. So now the pitch has decreased. It's gone down. And if you were standing right next to the to a stationary police vehicle while it was having the siren go off, it would sound in between those two. Well, relatively speaking. Yeah. And in fact, you can even observe this with visible light, say like in astronomy. The, oh, yeah. Uh, distant Red objects, shift and blue shift. Yeah. Moving away from us faster and faster in the galaxy or in the universe are going to be red shifted. Right. And in fact, also, uh, this is really part of what sonic booms, you know, why we have a sonic boom. If you're, if you have an object that's moving faster than the speed of sound at whatever altitude you happen to be at, because sound speed depends upon the medium it's traveling through. And with atmosphere, it could be affected by lots of stuff like humidity, uh, the air density, the temperature, all that kind of thing. But anyway, if we're talking about something moving uh, faster than the speed of sound, all of those sound waves get compressed so, so flat that if you're in front of that object and it's coming toward you, you're not going to hear anything. You you might you, know, you might say, what's that before it gets past you? And once it gets past you, then essentially all that sound is unleashed in a it catches gl- up. Yeah, a glorious boom of fury. <laughs> and then and that's where the sonic boom comes in. And actually the sonic boom rolls along as long as the object continues to move faster than the speed of sound. Now with radio waves, uh, we don't get the sonic boom because we're talking about radio frequencies. We're not talking about uh, acoustic waves. But what we can see is that if the frequency of the returning echo is uh, greater than that what we than the frequency we sent out, then we know the object that we're looking at is moving toward us. If the frequency is less than what we sent out, we know the object is moving away from us. Mm-hmm. And by sending out a series of these signals, we can tell in what direction and at what speed the object is moving. Exactly. And because each of these bursts is like a microsecond in length, you, you can, you know, you can do this several times a minute, you know, depending upon what your system is looking for and, uh, uh, and how you're focusing on that particular section of sky, usually. Yeah. And so if I remember correctly, uh-huh. you'll probably be able to tell me mostly radar is going to be operating in the microwave frequency of the EM spectrum, that's, right? That's largely what uh, we see today. A lot mm-hmm. of radio uh, radar works in the microwaves, but it can work in other uh, other parts of the, the electromagnetic spectrum. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think so, originally a lot of it was in radio. Yeah. Right. So that would be uh, – yeah, yeah. So if you imagine the, the EM spectrum, like you've got the longer wavelengths than visible light or microwaves and then the even longer than that are what we usually call radio waves. Right. So, uh, yeah, and, and the frequency would be – you know, the, the greater the frequency, the, the greater the amount of information we can get back, which is why you want to use higher frequencies if you can. But we'll uh, get right. into that later. Uh, which is part of why we talked so much about microwaves in another episode. Yeah. Well, wait a minute. If you can get more information from higher frequency, why don't we just use gamma rays? <laughs> well – 
There are a lot of reasons why. Uh, one is that we don't want a lot of incredible hulks running around. Says you. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, honestly, obviously gamma radiation would be incredibly dangerous, even if we could generate it easily without pouring tons of energy into whatever system we had gener- created to make yeah. gamma radiation. That was my guess, is just that it's harder to make gamma well, radiation. And, and that, <laughs> that it would also kill you, yeah. The, yeah. the two combined are really good reasons why we don't go into it. Okay, well, let's look back at the sort of the early days of sure. radar, the juvenilia of radar. <laughs> well, back when radar was just a gleam in a bunch of engineers' eyes, uh, the you got to look at the beginning of the 20th century. So a lot of the groundwork was laid in the 19th century, where you had people discovering and experimenting with radio waves. But it wasn't until the early 20th century that we started seeing people figure out, oh, we might be able to use this in order to detect things. Uh, there was uh, an engineer named Christian Hulsmeyer who invented a system that allowed ships or trains to avoid collisions on foggy days. Uh, the uh, the source I was reading, which was the APS physics website, referred to it as crude. In other words, it was not a very refined system. Uh, sure, but but you can immediately see or not see, as the case may be, mm-hmm. the benefit that radio waves have over electromagnetic light waves. Well, sorry, uh, vi- visible spectrum sure. light waves yeah. um, on a foggy day because... Right. You can't see through fog. Right, yeah. You have, but radio if, waves could bounce right through. If light is going to be reflected off the fog bank ahead of you, it doesn't, you can't really count on that being a, an effective signal to any other vehicles. So yeah, it was certainly something that was useful. The U.S. Navy had begun to experiment with radar, although it wasn't called that at the time, uh, to search for ships, but Actually, that research was largely overlooked in the United States. Like, it was a group of researchers within the Navy that was doing a lot of this work. But because it was viewed as experimental, it wasn't thought of as particularly practical at that time. So it was kind of like they were left to do their own thing and no one was really thinking it would ever come to anything. But that's amazing because it seems so clear to us now how useful something like radar is in warfare. Like, you can have real-time updates about the position of enemy vehicles in the moment, you know, yeah. as, as soon as they're advancing on you, you can see them in long distances. Well, especially things like aircraft, which yeah. would be particularly useful. And in fact, over in the UK, uh, research was going on, you know, in various places. Uh, but largely, we have to thank Sir Robert Watson Watt, who was actually a, a, a descendant, a, de- a relative, a distant relative of uh, of the, the famous Watt. Watt did all the steam engines. At any rate... Uh, <laughs> So Sir Robert Watson Watt began to work with radio waves um, as a means of detecting aircraft, but first had been working in the meteorological office to develop systems to detect lightning strikes because lightning can give off radio waves. In Mm -hmm. fact, lightning strikes do give off radio waves. So if you have a detector, then you can start to detect thunderstorms, and that was considered to be very useful. The, uh, The United Kingdom at the time wasn't really concerned with developing radio detection systems. Mm -hmm. Uh, But what happened was there was a rumor going around that the Germans had developed a death ray using radio waves. And so the UK government came to Watson Watt and said, if that's a thing, we're going to need one of those. (laughs) Can you make one of those for us? And so he started looking into it, but very quickly he said, you know, there. this doesn't seem feasible at all. From everything I've learned, this doesn't make sense. However, 
maybe we could focus on radio detection instead of radio destruction. And he really began to push for this means of using radio to bounce waves off of objects so that you can detect them remotely. And he got some support and it was very important in the UK at the time because we're talking about getting into World War II and the UK was heavily involved and obviously the, the fears of Germans, uh, German aircraft coming over and bombing England were warranted. So they yeah, wanted it was to happening have this. Really quite a lot. So, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. The, the ability to get people out of an area when they saw, when they saw craft coming. Yeah. Was, Huge. Absolutely necessary. Uh, yeah. Funny side note to this. This is actually sort of related to the, uh, the, the myth that carrots give you super eyesight. Did you know this? No. I wrote a brainstem episode about this. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, it's a fascinating little <laughs> historical blip. So, yeah, apparently one of the reasons that the British Royal Air Force was pretty successful in repelling uh, uh, Axis air raids uh, against the British was that they had onboard radar. So like these these planes were equipped with, uh, you know, radar systems that could tell them when enemy aircraft were approaching from a very long distance. Mm-hmm. Uh, but of course, they didn't want to let on to anything like that. So part of their misinformation campaign. Yeah, well, I think that's one theory. Other people have uh, different explanations for why they said this. But okay. for whatever reason, the British government said, you know, the reason our pilots can see so well is because they eat lots of vegetables rich in vitamin A, like, like carrots. carrots. So (laughs) at the same time, of course, they were trying to get people to eat carrots because that was like one of the, you know, one of the foods, one of the few foods that was plentiful in Mm -hmm. England at the Mm -hmm. time. And to to grow victory gardens, uh, quote unquote, victory gardens that uh, in which carrots were quite easy to grow. Right. That's interesting. Yeah. Oh, well, you know, but so it turns out it was a lie. You know, the pilots uh, suggesting that they just had super keen eyesight. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. At the same time, vitamin A is very important for maintaining normal, healthy eyesight. Sure. So, so eat your carrots, kids. <laughs> well, meanwhile, going back over to the United States during the same time, the Navy continued to develop radar, uh, and in fact, uh, named it such, uh, creating the first U.S. radar, uh, and it was called the XAF. It was installed on the USS New York battleship in 1939. Uh, so obviously the earliest uses of radar were in military applications. And that's not a huge surprise. I mean, it was, the, that was where it was very much useful. But shortly thereafter, once the war ended, we started to see radar get used in lots of different applications, including a lot of commercial ones. So air traffic control, aboard aircraft itself, like, uh, like you were saying, Joe, except for, you know, commercial aircraft, not just, um, military aircraft. Also, uh, commercial ships, um, and other means as well. And, and of course, going back to what, uh, Watson Watt was originally studying, we began using it for weather detection. Yeah, and forecasting. And this is a, you know, like Doppler radar, you, you hear it all the time, especially yeah. here in Atlanta. <laughs> I got it. They're so proud of their Doppler radar. Um, but yeah, it's Doppler radar is, is using the Doppler shift to detect moving weather patterns. And honestly, what it, they're mostly looking at is precipitation. So, you know, the radar, uh, the, the radio waves or microwaves will bounce back from precipitation telling you, oh, well, there's a, a front moving in and we can keep track of it. We can even map out the shape of it. And so when you see the, the radar uh, imagery, that's based off the data that's coming back from that, that, uh, the signals, which is pretty cool. Uh, the radar transmitters 
for Doppler radar for weather are pretty powerful. They use 450,000 watts of electricity when they're blasting out signals. I got to be honest. I have no idea how much that is. A regular microwave oven is 1,000 watts. So okay. multiply a regular microwave oven 450 times and you get what – but however, this particular radar – Technology isn't used, you know, it's not like they turn it on and it's blasting out radio waves <laughs> for like uh, hours at a time. Uh, right, right. It's, it's more like defrost mode on your microwave where it sends out <laughs> kind of little blips, uh, and, and then collects them all. Right. It's, it's to get a composite. It's spending most of its time listening rather mm-hmm. than blasting. So it'll send out a blast of, of radio waves in a very short amount of time, a fraction of a second. And then it listens for a good long while for the echoes to come back. So we're talking about um, such a short amount of time that the source I read said it transmits for about seven seconds in a typical hour. So it sounds like if they just leave this thing on, the army could have the death ray they wanted. (laughs) (laughs) Well, they could at least drain the power grid (laughs) if nothing else. Uh, yeah, I don't know that it would necessarily do anything else besides, um, you know, it, it could, it could probably jam communications with that many radio waves going out, but yeah. that'd be about it. Well, I mean, we used to think about radar as this kind of like high tech, expensive military technology. And you know, it used the, to be that. Yeah, yeah, but, um, but now you see it all over the place, right? Yeah, now it's actually making its way into consumer technology. So, uh, I mean, you know, it's not going to be in your smartphone. But it might be in your car. Yet. Yeah. yeah. So uh, autonomous cars obviously need to have a lot of of sensors, right, in right. order to to note what is in their particular a- uh, neighborhood so that they know, you know, whether they can merge over or change lanes, speed up, slow down, that kind of thing. Right. And you can use different kinds of waves to do sure. this. For example, one thing we've seen employed a lot in autonomous cars is LIDAR. Yeah, which is, uh, you know, that's laser oriented yeah. as opposed to using uh, radio frequencies. But radar is also used. Uh, there are lots of different systems where radar is used to maintain a uh, safe distance between the vehicle, uh, the vehicle itself and any vehicles around it. Yeah. So, you know, like the, the rule of thumb being that if you're behind a vehicle, you should be able to count to three, uh, when it passes a landmark before you pass that landmark too. Well, these kind of systems will make sure you maintain that safe distance at whatever operating speed the vehicle happens to be at. Cool. So, yeah, yeah. I, and I think you, you talk, you go into a little bit more detail about that one in the video version of yeah. our radar. Our episode, right? Yeah, I specifically talk about dynamic cruise control, which is something that's kind of a it's like a stepping stone between the cars we have now and truly autonomous cars. And a lot of vehicles right now have dynamic cruise control. Um, and the basic principle is that you set the cruising speed of your vehicle. But it also has this radar system so it can maintain the proper distance between any cars in front of it. And if it starts to get past a certain threshold of safety, the system will automatically apply the brakes to slow down your vehicle, but you'll still be in cruise control. So you don't have to you hit don't have a, to manually. Yeah. yeah, you don't have to hit a brake or an accelerator mm-hmm. to turn it off. You can just let it keep going. And, you know, if traffic starts picking up, then obviously you would take it off of cruise control. But otherwise, you just let it go. I think this is an interesting application of radar because if you look back at the history of it, what it was originally great for was seeing stuff that's very far away. Yeah. You know, it's uh, sort of like extending our vision beyond where we could where we could naturally ever hope to sense with our puny little human senses. But now 
it's more about uh, having cheap, controllable, short-range options. Oh, sure, especially in that consumer space, yeah. right? Uh, seeing any kind of technology mature, we we tend to see this kind of approach, this kind of a pathway. You know, some technologies probably won't ever follow that pathway just because either they'll never get inexpensive enough or there's not a practical consumer application for them. But this is one case where uh, there is a, a practical application. So that's pretty cool. But there are other practical applications that are go a little beyond being in your vehicle. Uh, yeah, less on the consumer end. Other other cool stuff is happening in radar. For example, radar in space. <laughs> Sorry, Link that was way broad. too much fun. Okay. <laughs> um, so, so starting back around 1994, uh, NASA and the ESA had teamed up and began launching synthetic aperture radar devices into orbit. Are we sure this isn't from Portal? <laughs> no, no, no. Synthetic aperture. Yeah, they're like synthetic aperture telescopes. It's a, it's a, it's a thing. Yeah, yeah, it's totally a thing. It's a really cool thing. Uh, synthetic aperture means that the radar equipment is on a moving vehicle, which mm. to simplify the science ridiculously, like almost criminally, means that the aperture of the antenna can be as long as the vehicle's flight path. And let me, let me explain that a little bit because okay. it makes absolutely no sense the way I just said it. Okay. Uh, p- picture a dish antenna, mm-hmm. right? Its aperture is its diameter. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, the greater the size of the dish, and thus the greater the size of the aperture, the more data the dish can take in. Uh, thus, the finer the resolution of the final image that it creates. It- it's similar to how film cameras work. You know, like if you've got uh, a wider lens aperture, more light can come in and you can take a higher resolution photograph. Yeah, this is one reason we can't uh, say resolve images of things that are really, really, really far away. We just can't build telescopes with an aperture wide enough. Mm. Oh, right, right. Uh, if, you, if you could imagine like an you know, infinitely large aperture, you could technically probably resolve almost anything out there. Like the uh-huh. end of the universe. Yeah. But this is totally like the, yes, now zoom in. No, it doesn't always work like that. Um, <laughs> zoom and enhance. Zoom yeah. and enhance. Oh, right, zoom and enhance. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's yeah. Usually zoom in, but uh, and it, it seems like it'd be impossible to build something that had a, a physical aperture that big. Uh, right, and you know, if you put an antenna on a vehicle like an airplane or a satellite, it means that you're limiting the physical size of the antenna to what that craft can carry. Mm-hmm. Uh, but by putting the vehicle in motion and including a whole lot of processing capacity, the flight of the vehicle can act like the total aperture of the antenna. Wow. So kind the, of crazy. The, yeah. So it's yeah. like a virtual I got. Oh, now I got the virtual aperture. Yeah. Okay, it's like it's like exactly what you called it earlier on. <laughs> synthetic aperture. Synthetic. That's true, you said synthetic. Yeah, yeah. Um and and this is really cool physically. Uh, uh-huh. Just in terms of the pure science of it, but it's also awesomely practical. Uh, for example, it's used currently to monitor situations like wear to natural environments and, and damage done in disasters and illegal logging and stuff like that. <laughs> uh, and researchers are also looking at ways to uh, bend it to even more different kinds of work, like like structural monitoring of infrastructure. Hmm. Uh, the, the tech can detect movements of mere millimeters, so it can look for problems in, in places that no human person might go out to for, you know, however long it takes to send someone out there. Yeah, I've actually seen this used in uh, in mapping uh, features as well in order to, to do topographical mapping, that kind of thing. Uh, and in fact, the image I saw was of Florida, and it was amazing the amount of resolution there. Um, 
Another really cool thing that we're seeing, and it involves a space agency, but not a space application, uh, NASA and the Department of Homeland Security partnered in an, an initiative called Finding Individuals for Disaster and Emergency Response, or FINDER. And it's a low-powered microwave radar that looks it's, – it's used by rescue workers who are looking for survivors in the wake of a disaster. And recently it was used uh, in the wake of the uh, the massive earthquake in Nepal. So obviously that was a huge tragedy and a lot of people went to try and help. And one of the the, the groups had this, this low-power microwave radar – and it can actually detect survivors by detecting their heartbeats. They're using wow. radar to detect heartbeats through rubble, like up to 30 feet of rubble or 20 feet of concrete or 100 feet of open space. And the fluctuations of the heartbeat or the fluctuations of your chest just from breathing are enough for the radar to pick up the difference, the, the differences in, in that Doppler shift and wow. tell the rescuers there's somebody down there. Which is pretty phenomenal. So, you know, we've covered radar looking at weather. We looked at uh, radar looking at massive areas of the earth and also just radar looking for a single person in rubble, which is pretty amazing to me. But so uh, these are all current applications of mm-hmm. radar. Mm-hmm. What about the future? Oh, I got it. I got it. Uh, radar home cooking appliances like a radar panini press <laughs> radar n- no okay never mind lauren what's the future of radar well joe uh so- sorry to tell you there are no panini presses that i am personally aware of in the works using radar but uh modular radar is a thing that a few research and development firms are working on see uh right now radar systems mostly have to be custom designed for any given application mm. um now, I will say a key feature of modern military radar, at any rate, is the use of arrays of transmitters, which allow the capacity to broadcast multiple beams that work in tandem to cover a greater range um, and also help escape signal detection by other parties, which is pretty cool. So, so, you know, if you're talking about extra bits that you add to radar, you could say that an array is sort of modular in a way, but that's not what I'm talking about. So you mean just modular by like adding parts, like lots of little uh, little bits that you add together? Well, uh, see, there there are also definitely systems for building your own um, necessary uh, power and type of radar using interchangeable parts mm-hmm. on a on a on a base kind of unit. Um, but as far as I can tell, it wasn't until the two thousands that patents began appearing for something closer to to like plug and play modular radar wherein <laughs> each unit is the same and can can interact with other units to adapt to particular tasks. So instead of having to commission a uh, a new uh, uh, customized radar system for whatever application you have in mind, you could go back to this basic modular approach and build it from that, which I would imagine dramatically decreases the cost. Yeah, yeah. You, you can just order rather than having to order an entire system or, or even an entire system that you can kind of customize. You can just order a certain number of these units. 
Huh. And they'll wind up working together. Uh, the, the Navy, via contract with Raytheon, has been developing the scalable radar system. Um, the, the building blocks of these systems are called radar modular assemblies, and each unit is a two-foot square block that contains everything it needs to function alone. But when grouped together, their power is, is multiplicative. Which is so cool. Uh, th- this is meant to replace the Spy One radar, which is currently in use on naval ships, um, which supports air defense and weather data collection and ballistic missile defense and can help uh, counter other forces search and track capacity. So good stuff all. Um, but nine of these modular suckers could replace the Spy One, which is about twice as large as as this array of of modular things would be uh, being a 12-foot octagon. What the Spy One is? The Spy One is a 12-foot octagon. Is the octagon. It is an octagon, yeah. yes, because apparently we are living in Battlestar Galactica. <laughs> Either that or the UFC. You know, Raytheon really sounds like it should be the name of a of a house in Game of Thrones. <laughs> totally trying to figure out how to do that joke. Thank you. <laughs> but, uh, I, I can't argue with that. But so, so that's, so that's nine of these modular units. If you go up to 37 units, Raytheon says that you could find a target half the size at twice the range of a spy one. Wow. And if you've got 69 of these units, you could find a target half the size at nearly four times the range. Um, or, you know, if you wanted to, you could just stick a single unit on a smaller vehicle. Uh, the system is set for release in 2016, and as of like today, which is May 12th, 2015, uh, Raytheon says that the system has passed an internal and naval critical design review. So it's moving forward, y'all. Wow. Radar is coming. <laughs> I want to hum the theme song so badly right now. Tell us more, Lauren. I shall. Yeah. I shall. Northrop Grumman, who was also in competition for the Navy's contract on these mm. modular units, seems to be working on a vaguely similar system for the Air Force. Um, and, hey, you know, this sort of thing would be also great for smaller, p- perhaps commercial applications, like uh, running security on campuses and on streets and in shipyards, especially using frequencies that can penetrate uh, precipitation and mm. stuff like that. Huh. So... All of this is thanks, you know, to technological advances in in both receiver and transmitter technology, but also to lots of other tech that we've talked about on the show before, like like modular robotic research and semiconductor research and software and al- algorithmic improvements. So it's 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 just fascinating seeing all of these industries coming together to create these relatively easy to use products that can be used in so many ways. Yeah, I think that's, uh, I, I, I had no idea about this. And this is interesting. It's another application of the, the sort of like modular principle, like we talked about in the modular ro- robotics episode. Mm-hmm. I, I like this idea of lots of little minions that come together to become something greater. Okay, well, you know, some of the other stuff that we need to talk about are some of the challenges that come along with radar. Mm-hmm. And one of the big ones is that, you know, you've got a transmitter and a receiver. Your receiver is essentially a giant antenna that's trying to pick up very faint signals. Sure, but the more sensitive your receiver is, obviously the more junk it's going to pick and up. And that's, that's a real issue, right? How do you tell the stuff you want from all the junk that you're getting as well? Mm-hmm. So in other words, like you're trying to 
find out whether or not, uh, you know, a stealth vehicle is flying overhead, but all you're picking up is the zoo cruise radio show. Uh, <laughs> you know, that's, that's three miles down the road. Uh, that's obviously for, for the sake of levity, but really, I mean, there is this problem of how do you separate the signal from the noise? And, you know, depending upon the application you're using, it may not be that big of a deal. It may be pretty simple, but, the more refined you get, the more difficult it becomes to make the separation. So let's say that you're using a microwave uh, radar system and you want to have a very high resolution of, of the data that you're getting back. That's actually pretty challenging. Uh, and there is a team of researchers in Italy who have been trying to make it easier using a photonics system. Now, photonics, if, if you break down the word... You know that obviously it has to do with light. It's some sort of optical system. Uh, they're actually using lasers and photonic diodes in order to generate radio frequencies. And the reason they're doing it is because if you're using a, tra- a like traditional radar system, you typically begin with an analog signal. Then you have to convert that analog signal into a digital signal. So use a converter to convert it to digital. And then you want to blast that out as your... Uh, as your means of trying to detect stuff. But you also want to use a very high frequency if you can, because that's where you're going to get the higher resolution data back. But this approach is usually limited to, limited to around 2 gigahertz in frequency. If you want to go beyond that, you have to put that signal through what's called an up converter. It's essentially boosting the signal. Oh, so, which we can totally do. Yeah, we can do that. And you, but... so you can boost the signal and send it out. And when it comes back... Now you gotta read it, and you can't read it in its, in that upconverted format. You actually have to run it through down conversion so that you can read this signal. And the problem is every single step in that process, from changing the analog to digital, to up conversion, to down conversion, can introduce more noise. Meaning that whatever you're getting back is getting harder and harder to actually analyze. So the photonics system gets around that by using this uh, this optics system to generate those radio frequencies. And the researchers say they can do a much broader range of frequencies, including much higher frequencies than any other system can make at the moment, and do it in a much more stable way that they don't it's not got it doesn't have this problem of introducing noise and they don't have to down convert the the returning echoing signal in order to analyze it because they're using the same system to generate and uh, receive the messages they've even said that you could switch this as, to a communications system if you needed to so not only would it become huh. a transmitter and receiver for radar but it could become a communications device where you could communicate with other uh, stations um, so pretty cool. They call it FODIR, P-H-O-D-I-R, and uh, they built a prototype device, and it worked. So they're now working on turning it into more of a practical tool because there's a big difference between a prototype and something that would actually work for anybody. Of course, of course, yeah. But Al- pretty also, exciting. Yeah, just everything today sounds like a Game of Thrones character. I've yeah, clearly been watching Hodor. Too much of that. Yeah, okay. All right. uh, so, so what are some other problems that we need to solve in, in radar technology? Well, a similar one to what we just mentioned is that the returning echoes can be very, very faint particularly if we're looking at something that does not want to be found, 
like a stealth plane. Mm. So, you know, stealth planes, the reason why they're stealth is not it's not that they're hard to see. They're usually pretty easy to see when they're on the ground. It's that <laughs> they're hard to detect. Right? <laughs> right. Their surfaces are designed so that they disperse incoming radio waves so that they don't reflect back to the the point of origin. So it makes it much harder to detect with a radar station. So now people are saying, well, how can we detect it? You know, some of the radio waves do get reflected back, but they're usually so faint. There's so few of them that it is hard to to say that's uh, an actual hit versus a false positive, you know, or noise, random noise. So some researchers at the University of York came up with a clever way of improving the sensitivity of radar receivers using our old buddy quantum physics. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. Joe, I sense you have some uncertainty about quantum oh. physics. Oh. Okay, that was your third pun for the episode. It was also I'm, the I'm second time I've, I've referred to that joke because I did that in the video episode, too. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> although I don't know if they may have cut that. The video episode hasn't gone live yet. So uh, at any rate, so the, the way that they're using quantum physics is through entanglement, quantum entanglement. And we've talked about that on this show before. Sure. But generally speaking, uh, this gets, this gets pretty complicated. We're gonna use the super simplified way of saying it. Quantum entangle, entanglement involves coupling two particles or waves in such a way that their states complement each other. So if we mm. think of it in photons, we usually talk about, or, or electrons. Let's talk about electrons. You know, usually talk about electron spin. So if one electron is spinning up, the other electron is spinning down. And they are coupled this way no matter how far apart you may move the two particles as long as you don't uh, make the system collapse on itself. Right. In which case the, the entanglement ends and they no longer are Go about coupled. their mutual business. Yeah, yeah. they have nothing to do with each other. <laughs> yeah. So Another way of putting it is that if you know something about one of these particles, you know something about the other one. Right. At that moment, at any rate. Yes. Yeah. So in this case, they are coupling a microwave beam with an optical beam. And the way this works is the optical beam is more or less contained within the radar system itself. Uh, there is some detection that goes with that, but it, it gets way too complicated for me to understand, let alone describe. So to simplify it, uh, the optical beam is contained within the system. The microwave beam is used to beam out at wherever direction you're looking at. When returning microwaves come back in, you can compare those echoes against the optical beam. So the optical beam acts like a reference. And because the two are entangled, there's going to be certain points where they correlate if, in fact, that is the same microwave beam you beamed out in the first place. And that would tell you, yes, there is, in fact, something there because these are the same beams you sent out in the first place. And you could be sure of that because the odds of these two different beams matching up randomly are so astronomical as to be unthinkable. Mm -hmm. So in other words, if you send it out and you get a very faint reading, you might say, ah, I think there's a stealth vehicle flying toward us based upon this reading. And the only reason we can be sure is because it, the, the qualities of this microwave beam uh, reflect the qualities of the optical beam that are already in the system because they were coupled together earlier. Which is pretty amazing stuff. It blew my mind uh, when I read into it because, uh, you know, I didn't even think 
about the possibility of entangling two very different things, an optical beam and a, well, I mean, obviously they're both electromagnetic radiation, but, but you don't really associate them together, right? I mean, the only time I associate microwaves and light are when I open up the microwave door and the little light comes on. Otherwise, <laughs> it doesn't happen. It's a different kind of entanglement. Yeah, as I, I have often been entangled with microwaves, but that's more of a cord issue. Yikes. <laughs> yeah. At any rate, I thought it was really cool to see kind of this emerging technological development and, you know, even this, this system of radar, which you wouldn't really necessarily think has evolved that much since it was first, uh, you know, uh, designed and engineered. You would figure, oh, well, that's a very basic principle. I don't, I could see where we could get better and better at detecting it, but how do we go beyond that? It's pretty amazing. I think. And when you get, whenever you get to the point where you're incorporating quantum mechanics, <laughs> it, it really gets pretty, uh, uh, heavy in my book. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so at any rate, this was really fun to talk about. It was an interesting kind of thing that we didn't, hadn't really considered before. Uh, but if you guys out there in listener land have suggestions for topics we should cover in the future, keep sending those emails. We, we're, we're accumulating them. We're addressing them. We're, uh, doing more and more listener-oriented episodes, and we love hearing from you guys. Maybe you have a question, maybe you have a suggestion. I'd love, to, or maybe even you've worked with Radar and you want to tell us about your experiences. We'd love to hear from you. The email address is fwthinking at howstuffworks.com, or you can drop us a line on Facebook, Twitter, or Google Plus. At Twitter and Google Plus, we are fwthinking. At Facebook, just search fwthinking in the search bar. Our Facebook page will pop up. Come like us, please. And leave us a message, and we'll talk to you again really soon. For more on this topic and the future of technology, visit forwardthinking.com. Brought to you by Toyota. Let's go places. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. That makes us FACET for life now, I guess. <laughs> Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. Hey, hey, it's Malcolm Gladwell, host of Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Your elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive entirely its own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. You deserve to treat yourself. So turn your tax refund into a U-fund and give yourself a Straight Talk Wireless Extended Silver Unlimited plan and get a new Samsung Galaxy A14 on them. You can get a great everyday value on wireless with Straight Talk's unlimited plan starting at $25 a line per month for four lines. You'll save so much, you'll be enjoying that refund all year long. It's the refund that keeps on refunding. Find Straight Talk at straighttalk.com or at your local Walmart store. 
Taxes and fees not included. Offer valid through 41424 while supplies last. Online only. Must purchase a Straight Talk Extended Silver Unlimited plan to qualify. Limit of five phones per customer. Family plan discount with four lines all on the Silver Unlimited plan. Not combinable with auto pay discount. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. All-inclusive vacations make life easy with endless eats, bottomless drinks, and never-ending fun. So booking an all-inclusive vacation should be easy too, right? That's where Apple Vacations comes in. Book your all-inclusive getaway with Apple Vacations and receive exclusive perks at select resorts. You'll find the best deals at Ryu Hotels and Resorts in Mexico, the Caribbean, and Central America. And enjoy a selection of exclusive nonstop vacation flights. Turn on easy mode at applevacations.com or call your local travel advisor to get started. Visit applevacations.com or call your local travel advisor to get started.